Hi, I'm Shamaya. It's like papaya, except it's not. Today we're going to revisit Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and talk about masculinity. Follow the social media accounts and enjoy. Hello! Hi, Jonah! Hello! Thank you for having me. Woohoo! I'm so excited. Me too. I love talking about movies, as you probably know. It's like one of those, like it's pretty old by like a moviegoer standards. Like it's like 2018. I mean now, yeah, it's it, it like, <laughs> it's sort of like if a movie hasn't come out in the last six months, it's... it's yeah, kind of <laughs> Especially with, you know, all I do is pretty much watch movies now, so... Watch right, movies. we're right. I need to think every day. Come on, Netflix. Every single day. Yeah, I think I've been logged into Netflix for like like a week straight at this point probably just like on in the background always (laughs) absolutely when i'm working when i'm not working when i'm when i'm I'm outside when i'm not home i'll leave it on at home just like just chill because i it gives me like a sense of comfort to know that um (laughs) no yeah like it really is comforting because like it's just having something going on so that i'm not like left with my thoughts what kind of stuff have you been watching on Netflix? Because I find I've been watching a lot of stuff I haven't, I've tried, been trying to avoid, and I, I feel like this sort of ties into the movie actually a little bit, um, but I feel like I've been trying to avoid <laughs> like things with a lot of high stakes sort of, not high stakes, but like things that make me feel bad, you know? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's really funny because I've been doing the opposite. <laughs> really? That's yeah. so interesting. Like most of the movies I've been watching are, are like, like, crime movies or like a heist or like someone's getting murdered I don't know why that is yeah no and it's interesting too because it's like I mean that's kind of what this movie is too you know there's crime and murder um Mm -hmm. but it doesn't it I don't know it sort of has it doesn't leave you feeling bad because it's everyone who gets murdered is you know not a great person Mm mm-hmm and I've been watching a lot of like Schitt's Creek and like the West Wing like stuff that like is more aspirational, I guess. Gotcha. You know what it is? I feel like, I feel like I'm really diving into those really like harsh, not so comforting subjects because I think my way of like dealing with catastrophe is just going for it head on. Yeah, totally. No, I I get that. I mean, you know, everyone deals with catastrophe as you. Mm -hmm. Catastrophe. (laughs) That's pretty apt. Yeah. 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 I find it interesting just to kind of get a glimpse into what, <laughs> how people are dealing with <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, actually, I not watch The West Wing. What is that about? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> a lot of things. So it's, it's about the president, not this president, I should say. Uh, <laughs> um, a fictional <laughs> president. It's just like about the White House and about them dealing with conflicts. And it sort of is, it's interesting to watch now because it's, everyone is so nice to each other and mm. respectful, <laughs> which is, it's, it's a lot different than what I think politics are like now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's great, great, great TV. Would recommend. Okay, okay. Puts on my list. <laughs> Puts on my endless list. Yeah. Ooh, I really, I really, I, um, Little Fires Everywhere. I really, I just finished it and I binged it. Um, yeah, my mom was watching that and I meant to watch it with her, but... <laughs> Um, she just kept bothering us about watching it with her, and then eventually she was watching on her own. Yeah, so I've been really into that, and there's this show called Killing Eve that I really like. It's with Sandra Oh. Yeah, I've been playing yeah. it. Yes, yeah. I, you know, Sandra Oh is, I, 
just a goddess. So <laughs> flowers. I, yeah, I watch that one. Little Fires Everywhere is what's that one about? I, I mean, mm. it is. It's about. It's about. It's basically about this woman who is kind of like a nomad, uh, her and her daughter. Um, she's the Carrie Washington. Um, and this other woman, they're like the two protagonists. Well, no, I would say that's the thing because they're both protagonists, depending on how you look at it. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, so then there's Reese Witherspoon's character who is a suburban um, wealthy mom of the upper middle class. And, uh, this really she's a really problem i'm not gonna i'm not gonna about like white feminism and like <laughs> yeah and and that and and that's what i love about it it's it's so layered and nobody's perfect and i think something that has been missing um within narratives about race especially within suburbia is the aspect of um like all the black people are right and all the white people are wrong like and that doesn't really right. and it's sort of it doesn't how does that help anyone you know yeah. If you're not trying to connect people with this, then what's the point? Yeah, yeah, and that's the great thing about it is just it gives each character room to like be good and bad, and it gives it gives more complexity specifically to the black characters because it's something that another trend that I also see is like, um, I guess I, I'm going to have to do a podcast on this now because you're talking about it. But <laughs> no, maybe we should have just watched this and done. <laughs> Um, but yeah, just to like, just to like <laughs> wrap up the little fires summary. Yeah, um, <laughs> Put a little pin in that. Yeah, um, or really, it handles really well the complexity of Black womanhood um, mm -hmm. in ways that I don't see a lot of media doing. Um, I love that. I mean, I think that's amazing. I think, you know, I think Black women are goddesses. In general. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you and you especially, but <laughs> I think that's awesome. No, and I, you know, I think with it's you know obviously there's not enough stories that are about black women or black people in general or minorities in general and it's like it's i don't know i guess this movie kind of made me <laughs> long for <laughs> more of that a little bit in a way yeah. <laughs> just segue like, into the into the movie discussion <laughs> okay, 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 okay. yeah yeah okay so <laughs> once upon a time in hollywood so what I um, did was I, I gave a summary um, for the viewers, listeners um, earlier. And so, yeah, so that part's covered. So why don't we just, we just, let's just first, let's talk about the things we liked first and then okay. we can go in. What did, what did you like about this movie, Shamaya? I'd love to, <laughs> I'd love to hear your, your thoughts. I liked, I think the cinematography was beautiful. I think, um, I think he, he knows how to shoot people in ways that make them interesting, even if they're just standing there. Um, I think that's both testament to the acting and to the director. Um, I think he, he's, he's a really good storyteller, I would say, um, in terms of like being consistent with like the theme. And in this specific case, I think that, and I feel like with a lot of his work, with a lot of um, Tarantino's work, he, um, relies a lot on the aspect of nostalgia. Um, and I think that nostalgia can be yeah. used in two different ways in a film. I think that it can either be um, one of the main driving forces of the plot, like it can be really substantial to like what actually happened, or it can just be um, the 
you know, the backdrop. Like, yeah. like for Stranger Things, I would say, mm-hmm, sorry, what was that? Like the atmosphere of the movie, kind of. Yeah, like, like for Stranger Things, I would say that the, the time period has a lot to do with, like, what actually transpires and the relevance of it all, like, because that era was, was right. really, um, like, a lot of people were paranoid about, like, the government and about, like, aliens, yeah. so that's Yeah, I mean, the, the way that, yeah, they use the time period in that show, you know, and also with the homage to, like, 80s horror Yeah, movies, so it's, like, like similar yeah. to that, I feel like. Um, I mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and what else did I like? I liked, I mean, I liked the acting. I thought everybody did a, made a solid... Um, yeah, I, I think the acting was probably my favorite part of the movie. I yeah. Which yeah. But, you know, for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the writing was, you know, I think his dialogue is really good, obviously. I think mm-hmm. he really knows how to write a movie, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like, he obviously knows what he's doing. You know what I mean? He's made, he's been in the film industry for however many years. He knows about film. You know what I mean? But it, well, I'll talk more about what I liked. I, I liked the attention to detail. That's yeah. always nice. You know, the setting was like, the world was just like so clear and so accurate, I want to say. I mean, I wasn't alive in 1969, so it's hard to say, I guess, how accurate it was. But it it puts you in that world, like immediately, I think. Yeah, I can imagine anyone who... Are people still alive who were, oh God, how old are people? Must be. <laughs> well, he was alive in 1960. He was like, oh. I he was like six or something. In oh, okay. Something. So like the people who grew up in the 60s and 70s, I can, I, I can see how that would appeal to them and how they would feel transformed back into that world. Um, and I can also see how he's kind of catering to his fan base. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, who are diehard like? That's the thing that that's probably the most thing. thing I'm not a fan of what Tarantino's is fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> so, yeah, which is true of a lot of fandoms, I think. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, what was the? I like I like how he took a different um turn on his street. Like he made a different um create a different ending basically for uh historically what was really yeah. Cool. um I mean, I think, yeah i think regardless of what people think like of the the twist itself i guess it was interesting at the least i didn't see i didn't really know a whole lot about this movie going in so i didn't same. expect it it was well constructed i think the moment of like the reveal when they walk into his house and you're like oh that's not where they're supposed to be yeah it's, it's like oh what i think that was really that was that was one of the better parts of the movie that mm-hmm. moment for me. That was a moment that stood out to me. Yeah, and I also like how um, he tied in the quote that Leo's character Rick um, made toward the beginning, where he was like, "One day they're gonna invite me over for dinner, and I'm just gonna be an instant star um, in a Pulaski film." Yeah, and how that kind of happened at the end, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this like neat little package. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fun little movie. That's it. Yeah. I think I'm done. I don't think you know. I it was good. I think that's it. Um, no. Um, yeah. So <laughs> now <that> we think <laughs> we're in a big panda. We can go into that. Um, yeah. 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 
so and and I and I do want to like just put out there I'm coming from a place of empathy like I just I like to look at art and from an analytical lens just because I feel like it can help us um figure out what kind of art we actually want to see going forward um yeah and I think people don't make films in a void you know what I mean it's like the way that people react to your film I think in my opinion is is as much a cultural impact of that film and sort of the meaning of that film you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like if you're not making films for two people to discuss you know on a podcast two friends to to just talk about them like I guess who are you making them for you know yeah yeah and I find that like I feel like I'm becoming maybe more of like a pretentious audience member because (laughs) I just yeah I mean I made a whole podcast to tear down film I'm just kidding (laughs) but um I (laughs) I literally I feel like if something isn't coming at an idea from an interesting angle that like basically I just like stuff that's either really weird or um makes me have conversations about topics that um involve actual humans in the real world and I just I feel like if it's not doing either of those things and I don't really take much of an interest in it. Um, like at this point, I just, I feel like, and I think part of it is I feel like there's more at stake now with the type of art that we're creating. And, and I think that we have more tools now and more agency to create the images you want to see. Um, I think that's a good way to put it. I think mm -hmm. when people complain about like art being, I guess, too, sort of high-minded or sort of uh, you know too liberal I guess or too kind of I'm trying to think of the right word people think that you know people put in these characters these minority characters or these minority storylines just to appeal I guess to Mm. like uh this non-existent like people who don't go to the movies otherwise I guess which doesn't which isn't real you know people go to see your movie whether that's in there or not, mm-hmm. um, in general, you know, I think on the whole, it doesn't usually affect the box office of a movie. But I think that it's not that, you know, these things are like unnecessarily being put in because of some political agenda. It's just that our generation and the people who are making movies is changing, you yeah. know, and what we want to see and what we want to create is changing, which is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie sort of, <laughs> it almost kind of paints it in a negative light a little bit, doesn't it? Because yeah, it's like, <laughs> like it's, just, it's just the the arc of, um, or rather the symbolism with like the hippies. I mean, like they're not hippies, they're murderers, but like right. they're- but, uh, Also like in this movie, there's always <laughs> murderers, you know, technically. Like yeah. <laughs> they don't kill anyone technically in this timeline. I mean, obviously we know. Mm-hmm. They're the Manson family, so they're not great, but... Yeah, it's it's weird, too, because um, I was reading an article about this, of how um, Rick's character kind of represents the, like, old way of thinking in, like, old Hollywood and how and how um, the new Hollywood was a threat to him and, like, kind of a threat to everyone who thought like him and everyone who looked like him. Right. Um, and so the movie, whether intentionally or not, is kind of making him seem like the hero. And in doing that, and in, in him being the hero by kind of defeating the villain, which, um, you know, might be countercultural in this case, but right. like in the grand scheme of things might just be, you know, a new way of thinking. Um, 
that really, that sends a really harmful message. Um, and it kind of, it kind of makes me think of how like, how conservative minded folks um, kind of paint liberal ideas as just like kids, just being spoiled to like just kids, like not knowing what the world is like. And I really got, I got a lot of that from Rick's character. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, like when conservatives are like, you know, oh, they don't understand the world. It's not, it, what the, what those people don't understand is, is that it's the world that's changing, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like Tarantino doesn't feel that way, you know? Mm-hmm. You get the sense that he wishes Do you think that... You think he does not or you think he does? I think he doesn't. I think you get the sense kind of that he wishes that the world hadn't changed. Uh-huh, yeah. You know what I mean? Which is like, I understand the nostalgia for that kind of era. Obviously there's appeal, but mm-hmm. it's, but like, you know, there's also only one minority character, you know, racial minority character in the movie that I can think of. You know yeah. what I mean? Like those people weren't allowed in Hollywood, and you want to return to that? Like, I, yeah. what do you, you know? It's just it feels a little icky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it and it's kind of yeah. It feels like it feels like almost irresponsible because I, I feel like, and I, I kind of sit on the fence with using that word in terms of creating art because mm-hmm. I know that people create art for the most part from their experiences. Right. Um, and sometimes whatever you create can be interpreted differently. You can't necessarily control how an audience sees your work, like what lens they view it through. Um, so I get that. Um, yeah, there I, is a sense of like wanting to like go of your art once it's created and sort of just be like, well, that's it. That's Yeah, it's kind of like it's out of your hands after, you know, after out in the world. Um, but at the same time, it's like, he's aware, he's, he's aware at this point how, how his work comes across to people. Not saying that you have to just listen to the pins and opinions of, uh, you know, everyone on the outside, but I do think it's worth, I think, I think it's worth working harder to like, to make sure that the message that you're putting out isn't harmful. Um, even if it means like, you know, this character isn't as like, rough and tough as you want him to be or you know like he's not you know brad pitt doesn't have to like <laughs> jump from the fence to the roof and then like yeah when he's fixing a satellite i was like yeah i'm not complaining yeah. <laughs> why <Yeah>. like <laughs> yeah it just like reinstills this like very this this world of like macho men of macho white men um where they're the hero simply by existing. And that that's something else that I was thinking about is like, yeah, what about what about Rick? Because Rick is the hero in this because Cliff gets injured, nothing happens to Rick. Um maybe maybe Cliff is like part of that. Yeah. But the way that I see it, Rick is the one that's Yeah, Rick's journey is the one I think that is like the 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 structure of the film. Sort of his journey of like his journey through Hollywood and through these changing times and you know, at the end he's the one who goes to Sharon Tate's house. He's the one who's left, basically. Yeah, yes. I would agree with that. He's sort of the structural yeah. protagonist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's just, it's really interesting because I feel like, I don't know, I, I, didn't, I didn't think 
that he had any heroic, like not heroic qualities, but any qualities that made me really vouch him, except for the fact that we're told that he's the main character and we're told, we're oh, told yeah. that, you know? It's, it's, he's the main character and he is Leonardo DiCaprio. And like yeah. that's supposed yeah. to be enough. And it, it is, I guess, because it, it worked, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But he sort of just has things happen to him. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but I guess that's true. And he sort of is not, I mean, if you came across this person in life, you would probably think he was kind of a jerk. Like, I mean, yeah. I don't think you would really like him very much, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and it also makes me think of how, like, we are socialized to buy into white male problems quicker than anyone else's. Like, we, we, yeah. we assume that, not saying that, like, his struggles aren't valid, because, like, I'm an actor, I get it, but, like... Um, yeah, we'll get into that, but, yeah. No? <laughs> but, yeah. No, I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's this thing where, like, you know, you see it after school shootings, you see it after anything involving a white man, where immediately people are like, oh, well, he must have been troubled, you know, he had all these mental health issues, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, sure, Mm -hmm. should be paying more attention to that, but why is that an excuse only for these white men? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, And it's really interesting, too, because I, I feel like, Charles Manson, and this might be a really bold statement, but like, here we go. So, <laughs> so Maya's hot takes on Charles Manson. Here we go. I'm ready. Um, <laughs> I feel like there is a world where Charles Manson and Rick are two sides of the same coin. And I say that because they are both, they're both, yes, they're perpetrators of this, um, hyper-masculine, um, patriarchal society, but they're also victims of it. Um, and I think, like, that's just... That a hot take. I wasn't expecting it to be that hot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think you're not wrong in saying that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because I feel like, okay, so let's say that something, well, first let me talk about Rick. Um, so Rick, he he is handling like all the pressures of hypermasculinity, um, like from a structural sense and just from like his view of himself and how he sees that he'll contribute value to the world. Um, he's experiencing it very internally, whereas Charles Manson, I believe, experienced it very outwardly. Like um, Rick was only a danger to himself, but Charles was a danger to everyone else, and it just sure. manifested in different ways. Um, and I say that because, um, like, from a, in a general sense, the the expectations of um, being a man supposed to have supposing I mean be, supposed to have what am I trying to say? Okay, the expectations of being a man in society are astronomical, and because of that, um, sometimes men who can't meet that standard. Um, they, they deteriorate and they fall inward. And I think that's something that was happening to Rick, even though he was in the artistic space, it's almost like he's more susceptible to it because as artists, I feel like we tie, tie that to like our identity. Um, like it, it becomes us, like our art becomes us. And the same thing with Charles Manson, he was an artist. And like, it's, it's really hard sometimes to see. Pop culture was a huge part of his yeah. life and also his, I guess, messaging would you call it his his like 
his his like group thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he sort of is seen as, I guess, sort of the end of the 60s. He's, I think his, yeah, he's invariably, in, inexorably, like, connected to pop culture. He is, both in his life and also in the way that people reacted to him. You know, he became, like, a phenomenon, mm-hmm. in a way. He was on Rolling Stone. Like, there's endless movies about him. Yeah. In a way, he almost sort of, I guess he didn't get what he wanted. That's not because he wanted to incite a race war, and that mm-hmm. didn't, you know, mm-hmm. so that's good, um, obviously. Yeah. But like, it, you kind of have to wonder if if this pop culture obsession with him is doing more harm than good, you know? Mm. And I don't know. I mean, I'm obsessed with serial killers, so, <laughs> so you know, it's hard hard for me to say like it would be better if we didn't publicize all this stuff. But you kind of have to wonder, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, yeah, and along with that, it's, like, arguably the thing that really made him tip over the edge and start these mass murders was the fact that he got rejected by, um, you know, by the guy who was going to give him a record deal. Um, I don't know if that was an agent or... Yeah, I mean, I think that was part of it. I think also it's important to note that he was, <laughs> yeah. like, a nut, like, yeah, crazy, yeah. like, he you know, thought that the Beatles were sending him messages to start a race war. Like, that's, yeah. that's crazy. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. you're right in that you can't deny that it was because of these things that have happened to him in his life, you know, um, and the effect that those kinds of things have had. And I think you do see that in Rick. He, I mean, even just in the scene where he forgets that line and then he just, like, <laughs> loses it. Like, goes insane. And you know, I feel like I've been there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think, which is not to say that I'm on the road to Charles Manson, hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed. But I think, as a man, you know, as a white man, <laughs> it is, I do find myself identifying with Rick, I guess, in that regard. And I think that's something that all performers can identify with, but I think it sort of goes to what you're speaking about, you know, men are taught to not to internalize and to not express those emotions. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that that can create just like a well of hate. Yeah. Yeah, especially as an artist, because I don't think that to to anyone, like being an actor is an inherently, like, it's not something that's going to get you on the clear mainstream path to you know, the power that will be allotted to you within a patriarchal system, right? Like, it's not like you're a bank teller or a lawyer or, you know, a CEO. It's not like the clear-cut path. And I don't so, think anyone to acting, like, for the, the power of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. They Unless they're famous, like, right off the bat, right. then they come to realize that <laughs> this is a career that doesn't, you're often powerless, you mm. know? Yeah, right. so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, I wonder um, if, like from a less psychological standpoint, since it's not like that clear cut pathway, there's almost more pressure to succeed in like to a certain degree, because you're like, you're almost like, if I don't prove myself that I can, that I can get there without all that other stuff, that I can get there by actually doing what I love, then it was all for nothing kind of thing. Yeah. I think we place such high stakes in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no one gets into art to, I think, create, the perfect you know do the perfect take or like create the perfect painting people mm-hmm. do it to 
express themselves, you know, and express something about themselves primarily, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. Go, go, go. And like, I, it sort of is, now I'm trying to remember what I was going to say. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. What were we saying? I literally just lost my train of thought. So that's, um, no, you're good. You're saying <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> um, maybe like, let's see. Maybe like, I was talking about how, how as an artist, sometimes you can feel like since you're not doing the, since you're not in like a mainstream career or you're not in like, you know, finance or something like that, especially as a man, you almost feel an extra pressure to succeed um, to a certain level, like to, to meet a certain, um, to be in a certain bracket as an actor, yeah. especially yeah, as a man. You know yeah. I feel like especially right now, I think that's something that a lot of people or a lot of actors and artists are struggling with in this time, especially. And I think watching this movie now sort of, not on purpose, but it kind of spoke to me in a, in a way that like, you know, I've been struggling with, as I'm sure you have, those struggles of being unemployed right now, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of my art, um, not having an artistic outlet is hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And it, that pressure of wanting to book always constantly and, you know, wanting to be employed, um, I think right now is especially getting to people. I find, I found that in my experience, it's been, it's been a struggle, you know? And I think it's important to remember that (laughs) no one is working right now for Mm -hmm. the first, you know, this is not a normal time. And also that I think our value is not tied to the things that we create or to employment, you know? Yeah, that's so important because you know, like, I, I feel like I also related to that moment where he was like, oh, you're so stupid. Like, <laughs> like, I I was like oh. actors have been there unless they, well, I don't want to say that, but I, you know, um, many actors have been in that moment. <laughs> yeah, totally. When he's like kicking, oh my gosh. He so <laughs> I was like, Leo, you're <laughs> Eight whiskey sours. I'm <laughs> like, and then, um, you know, at the same time, it, there's the moment right after when that little girl comes up to him and she's like, that's the best acting I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's oh. those highs and lows of like, I mean, that's really what art is, isn't it? It's, there's nothing I think, I think that really speaks, that summarizes what creating art is like so beautifully. It's like these moments of like, just you, you want to trash your trailer, literally, because <laughs> you forgot a line to like this little girl telling you that you're the best actor she's ever seen. You know, it's those high highs and those low lows that are like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to me, and I'm guessing to you know most careers, I would say probably. I don't know, but yeah, but, but our our job is crazy. We have a crazy yeah. job. <laughs> yeah, my mom is always like, whenever I have auditions or callbacks, she's always like, "Is this the kind of thing where like they don't call us, we'll call you?" Like, <laughs> like that's all of them. That's every audition I go on. Is that? Welcome to my life. It's so weird. We have these weird rules for acting that are not present in any other job. That's so true. Oh my God. It's like, it's the regular jobs and then some. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it, there's a lot of pressure, you know? And I think this, that's one of the themes of this movie that I think I really did enjoy was that, I guess just because I related to it, was that, that pressure, you know, that, mm-hmm. that uh, pressure to succeed yeah to have, to have a meaningful career you know 
yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because there's, it's like almost a spectrum of like, on one end of the spectrum, you, you literally think, well, it's all into the spectrum of I am my art, which is not healthy, but like one side of the spectrum is, um, oh, I'm, I'm trash and everything I create is trash and no one's going to like me unless I'm like uh, the biggest star in the world. And then there's the other side of the spectrum, which is like, I'm, I'm God, basically. Right. Um, I'm the, the best thing since. Yeah. Best thing, best thing since like Nutella. That. It's hard to compete. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think it's interesting that they picked Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt to be in this movie, I guess. I don't know. Mm. Not that I don't love them and I think they're great and I think they did an amazing job in the movie, but it, it is sort of interesting to me that they picked these two like really big stars. Like Leonardo DiCaprio has never, has he ever had a movie that bombed? Like, <laughs> I'm looking for it. I haven't found it. Like, does he, it's interesting to see these people who you would think would necessarily maybe relate to that. Yeah, story, definitely. I guess. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder if it, I wonder if that's part of it. I wonder if that was intentional. Um, yeah, I mean. Or maybe because. Yeah, I think he also just likes hanging out with his buddies. You know what I mean? That's true. <laughs> like, he's like, how, who, which friend can I invite to be in this movie? Like, hmm, let's get Margot Robbie in there. Let's get. Yeah, Margot, I, can I talk about Margot for a second? I let's love Margot so much. I saw her, ever since I saw her in Suicide Squad, I was like, I only came here for her. The movie's trash, but I came here for her. Um, like, I think one of the, the best actors working right now, I think. Yeah. I think she's incredible. She's so, ah, she's so compelling and just like weird. Oh, I love it. I love it. Weird enough, about just watching her is like so interesting. She's yeah. so fun to watch. That whole sequence of her just like going about her day was like really fascinating. And it's mm -hmm. because of her. <laughs> yeah, well, not because of the writing, because of her. <laughs> no, and it's not because of the, you know, the directing is, well, I guess the directing feeds into the acting, obviously, but like the cinematography isn't anything special. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. just her giving a performance that feels honest. Yeah, she's really great. Um, but anyway, back to the topic, right? <laughs> yes. Love you, Margo. Hope you're listening. You're probably not. Um, I love I, you anyway. <laughs> you know what? While we're talking about Margo, I guess, and sort of um, the white man aspect of it, I guess, mm -hmm. one of the things that this movie, I think, people were not big fans of was the fact that Margo Robbie had, like, no lines, basically. Mm -hmm. And, like, what what was you what did you what was your impression i guess in terms of i mean it's a movie about these two white men basically mm -hmm. and there's not a lot of minority representation there's like margot robbie and then there's the manson girls and then there's bruce lee who we could talk about i, I have so much yeah what was your thoughts okay. on that i'm gonna start with because i did a little like digging in terms of the history of westerns because okay. It's, it's really tied to like violence and who, I think, I think there's just this, this, this under, this underarching theme, this overarching theme, I don't know what the term is. But, um, <laughs> In between of, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that whoever begets the most and the most gruesome violence is the person we're supposed to care about the least. And in this movie, I just, I just, the women were like not like here's the thing 
I understand that the Mansons were not warm and cuddly. They were not, they were murderers. Like, I get it. But it's like, it was done in like a comical way. Like how gruesome it, it was just, it was just, yeah. and I know that that's sort of his thing. Like I'd never seen Pulp Fiction, but I heard that that's a thing that he does sometimes using violence within comedy or to like, yeah. you know, for comedy. I would recommend good movie. Oh, <laughs> Maybe better than this movie. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, I heard he does it for comedic effect, but in this sense, it was like, wow, you have like very few women being showcased in this movie, and the women that are showcased are like being brutally, like, like it was, ooh, it was a lot. It was a lot for me. Um, yeah, like a two minute long scene of not too many, you know, I'm exaggerating, but Brad Pitt just smashing that girl's face in. Like, yeah, like, yeah. why? I just feel like, why? Yeah, and he, you know, that sort of violence, I guess, is his kind of record, but it, it was also interesting to me how little violence there really was in the movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Considering that's like what he does. Probably what he's most famous for mm-hmm. the level of violence. And it sort of was, in terms of his movies, kind of tame. But I guess, but it does go to what you're, what you're speaking to in that, like, when you, when you scale back the violence, I guess, it sort of places more of an emphasis on when the violence does occur. Mm. And these are, you know, these women are, I, I mean, I hesitate to even say that they're monsters because they were brainwashed. Brainwashed girls, yeah. Brainwashed into a cult. You know what I mean? And on acid. They were probably on acid doing this. Like, could have been. Like, you know? Well, we don't know. And, you know, there's been all these movies about Charles Manson, about his cult, but it doesn't, not a lot about these girls who were brainwashed, which is not to say that, you know, they're murderers, obviously. So like, we should only have so much sympathy, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, something else, um, actually there's this movie called Charlie says that is basically their story, which is, I I recommend it's a little, it is rated R. It, a lot happens. You get to see a lot. Hmm. Sorry. I think it came out the same year as this movie, maybe. I'm not it, positive about that. I believe 2018. Is more um, but it has like a girl. Oh, sorry. Manson's girls. I'm going to Google it. Keep talking while okay. I. Cool. Um, it was, oh, it, it captured so well what um, one of the women um, went through being in the process of her being, being brainwashed. And then when she was in prison afterward, um, maybe it was prison, maybe it was juvie, but um what they what they um showed was there was like a social worker who was um, supposed to like talk to the girls and get them to basically admit their crimes and they they admitted them but they didn't think that they were wrong they were like well this is just we were like helping you know the greater good or whatever and it took her to the end of the movie to convince them that these were like gruesome murders that they were convinced were yeah you know for some greater purpose and it was oh oh my god because you you saw you saw by the look in their faces, the turning point of this is something that I had to do, this is something that I, I chose to murder people, basically. Yeah. Like you, you see it in their eyes and it's like, it is gut-wrenching because then the, the social worker starts crying because she knows that she's convinced them now what they've done. Once you convince them, they have to right. live with that. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then it's like, yeah. It, I mean, subtlety, I guess, has never really been Quentin Tarantino's, like, <laughs> thing, you know? <laughs> and it, rooting for good people, I guess, has never really been his thing, necessarily. He's, he's not super into 
super nuanced characters, I don't think. Oh, I see what you mean, yeah. You know what I mean? But like the story of like the Manson girls, their brainwashing, I don't think would be interesting to him. But mm. it, that's, is that, is that, do you think that's a problem or do you think that's just in terms of what he wants to do with his work? I don't I think that it speaks to his attitude as the filmmaker. I think mm. in that he has this viewpoint, you know, based on his movies and based on the interviews I've seen that it's his world. You know what I mean? The, the movie he's making is his art. Mm. He can make it how he wants. It's what he wants to do, which yes, you know, I'm all for that, but he also has this way of sort of shutting down any other opinions or any other oh, viewpoints. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I get, I, I do as an artist understand wanting to have control over your art, but I think there's a difference between letting other people control you and taking other people's viewpoints into mm -hmm. account. And yeah, like you can take like notes. Listening to other people's perspectives and learning from them you know what I mean yeah. and it doesn't always feel like he wants to it feels like he just has these views of this is what these people are like and this is what women are like and this is what men are like and this is the world I'm making and you have you have to wonder if it's I don't know it, it feels problematic at times yeah yeah and it especially feels problematic when it seems like when it seems like he uses um, uses, you know, um, the social, I guess, script. Not really. No, that's not. Like, he uses, like, okay, we'll be editing this. But, <laughs> um, maybe... <laughs> edit this out, edit this out. <laughs> um, I always I, wonder how podcasts sound so, like, smooth and, like, like they're just talking oh, about just... it. <laughs> <laughs> um... I feel like he he almost um, uses the social political climate to his advantage at times. Like what what he'll do when he wants to. Like what I mean by that is like he made Kill Bill, right? Like he made Kill Bill one, two, and three. I believe all three. Um, and oh, there's two. There's only two. <laughs> okay, I haven't seen them. So <laughs> there might be a third one. He might be making it in the making. I don't know. Um, Uma. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Uma, where are you? Um, <laughs> That's my mating call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but um, I think that he like he knows when to buy in, and he knows when to not. So like he when he does listen to people who are like we need more representation of women, or you know we want to see women like not getting murdered or getting beat around, then he uses that for profit, but then he like, is like, okay, I already did that. I don't have to do that anymore. Like, yeah. I don't have to, I don't have to give space for women now it's because he already gave those his obligation and then, yeah. Yeah, and I, I feel a similar way about Django, even though I, I really like Django. Yeah. I, whenever someone has a history of, of not paying attention to a certain demographic or like, or like painting them in unfavorable ways, I, I question the project where it finally happens. Um, and that might just be a motivation almost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because more often than not, like, let's be honest, more often than not, the people uh, in the top tier making all the decisions only make decisions that are in favor of certain communities when it benefits them. 
financially. Like a good example of that is Green Book. Most black people I know hated it. It won so many awards though because so many white people loved it. (laughs) This is how we fix racism. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, no, you're right. And he clearly has some, at best, weird worldviews. Like he's a weird guy, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And he has a very unique way of looking at the world and it does make you question his motivations a little bit mm-hmm. and I mean you have a movie like Django where they say the n-word like 110 times something like that you know what I mean written by this white guy and it, it, there's something to be said like I get that that's part of the story you know what I mean it does take place in the antebellum south mm-hmm. like they use that word a lot but when you have someone like Spike Lee like criticizing you for using the word that much and you don't even like take that into account you know what i mean you don't even listen and say okay i hear what you're saying like it just makes you think he doesn't care Mm -hmm. almost about the perspective of minorities (laughs) i guess (laughs) yeah and it, it almost feels like he in his mind he like romanticizes this era like, and I get it, like, um, speaking about, well, I don't get it, but like, <laughs> um, speaking about the history of like, um, Westerns, they were like the breeding ground for violence in television and like how it kind of became popular. But lest we forget in um, Western films and television were, were black and brown bodies, um, mostly brown, more brown than black, I would say. Um, like um, indigenous people were basically the only people you saw getting murdered on television at the time. Yeah. And that's, that's important because um, the 1940s was like when film noir started to emerge. And so that begot more um, um, violence in terms of um, murders being, ha- being um, visible on screen. Right, yeah, so like, sort of oh, as the rules kind of got less stringent. Yeah, yeah. Less- yeah, so like what happened was they started, um, originally they would have like, um, maybe you see someone's hand go across someone's throat and then like you would see the shadow of the person being murdered. But like what they started doing was actually showing the murders as they happened. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, it used to be you couldn't even show like a toilet on television. And then I think <laughs> the first time they showed a toilet, they couldn't show the bowl. They had to just show the tank of the toilet. Oh wait, that's wild. I didn't know <laughs> so, that. Like, yeah, it's like compared to like, you know, if you showed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to someone from the 50s, they'd be like, this is disgusting garbage. Mm-hmm, yeah. So it's, it's just really unsettling. And that's, yeah. that goes back to my point of like, you can tell what a filmmaker wants you to, who a filmmaker wants you to care about based on who begets the most, or who suffers from the most violence. Um, yeah. You know? And yeah, I think another thing that you, you can also tell through screen time, you know what I mean? And but I'm really trying to think, I don't remember seeing a, a single person who is a color other than white, except for Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. I'm trying, I don't, and even that portrayal of Bruce Lee was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> was like, uh, mm-hmm. and like, my <laughs> yeah. And like, here's the thing too, like, I, I read somewhere that like, maybe this was like Cliff's dream sequence. Um, yeah. Because of like the dent that he made in the car, which is not realistic. Yeah, maybe sure. it's just imagination. Um, I yeah, mean, I sure. I don't, I mean, I don't know. Um, like more of a justification than a reason. Mm-hmm. You know? 
and it feels like he doesn't it, it feels like it was convenient for them to ha use that as a as an out you know what i mean it feels like they were like people said that and they were like oh yeah sure it could be a dream sequence yeah mm, interesting which i don't think is may necessarily what happened in the writing of the movie but again it makes you there's all these little things that make you question his motivations yeah yeah his motivations definitely like if he's actually listening um because like i remember reading about um an interview that he had where a journalist asked him about um why margo has like so little lines um and she's like one of the only well the only prominent woman in the in the movie um and he basically like ignores her question yeah he doesn't go like <laughs> i reject your hypothesis yeah <laughs> like what is yeah. that mean? Like, stop being weird, Quentin. How do you, I mean, how do you speak to a person that way in life? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's kind of a rude, and he doesn't, he does speak to male reporters that way, but I feel like. It's like. There's often an air of condescension with him, I guess, with talking to women. Like, yeah. You know, that's the sense I get. Mm -hmm. I'm not inside his head, so it's hard to say, but. Do you think, do you think that ego, um, often coexists with, um, successful artistry or like prominent artistry? Oh yeah, for sure. I think it, it's hard to succeed in a career like this without some sort of ego. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just because of how much rejection there is. How do you, it's hard to get through that if you don't have some sort of ego. I think. And I think the more successful you are, probably, <laughs> especially in his case, the more egotistical you get, you know? Mm. And you look at someone like, um, you know, like Shonda Rhimes, who I guess is not, not comparable necessary, but who's not a white man in this position. And just from interviews with her, you can tell her ego is not Mm. even close to that level and, which is not to say you know they're different in different positions obviously it's a different situation but I guess when you look at the ego of white men in Hollywood it's interesting to see what do you think about this whole ego in art what's your take I think the the correlation between the two is perfectly um exemplified when um Polanski um called out his dog's name which was um I wrote it down it was Polanski was also a character in this movie. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like he was there, so like, it's kind of like you kind of have to include him. Mm hmm. Um, what is his name? <laughs> Freaking, hold on. It's Doctor Doctor Saperstein. Yeah, that's Saperstein. right. Oh and God. that's the name of the doctor in Rosemary's Baby. That's right. Because like yeah, you name your dog after one of your movies, like <laughs> your own movie, literally your own movie. So it was just like the perfect, it's a perfect moment, I think. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Roman Polanski. Um, I don't, I, I liked that they didn't include him more than I think they had to, mm. which was nice. I mean, I guess it's hard to avoid putting him in the movie because he was married to Sharon Tate. So like, but he's icky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Roman, what's going on? <laughs> um, I think, oh, um, something that I also realized about, um, like, being in the biz, or just, like, being a performer, um, is how many, um, rituals we have. Like, there, 
like when the little girl was talking about um, how she doesn't like being called anyone other than her character's name on set. She's like, what, seven? Um, <laughs> that little girl's my hero. She's my I hero. know. Like, actually, I think I, uh, I want to be her. She's going places. She really is. I'm sure. Um, a sequel just about her character in Hollywood. Her. I only care about her. She's what I want to know about. Um, and how, like, how there was, like, a scene where Rick's character, where Rick um, had, like, a bowl with ice-cold water on his desk, like, on his, um, like, makeup. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think maybe that had to do with something with, to do with the makeup. Oh. Oh, that would be an efficient way of doing it. I should do it that way. <laughs> so much more yeah, look at that. You learned something new. <laughs> look at that. Clinton taught me something new. Who knew? Yeah. I guess you can learn something right then, turns out. I thought it was like that you, that you as a black woman learned something about makeup. <laughs> That's funny. To me. But yeah, it's like, and I mean, like, I always like, he's a great storyteller, but like, yeah, you know, you get it. Um, um, yeah, yeah, so that was really interesting. Yeah. And also, it's interesting, like, how, um, like, when I said the spectrum of, like, being, like, thinking you're a god um, and, like, basically thinking you're trash as, as an artist. Um, it's just, it's almost godlike how we view celebrities. And it's almost like, back to <laughs> Charles Manson, um, it's almost like Charles wanted that, but since he couldn't get it in the way that he thought he would, it's like this was plan B kind of like, sure, sublime, yeah, like I mean, maybe, yeah. you know I think he's and this kind of has to do with that like pop culture's fascination with you know serial killers and people mm -hmm. who commit these violent crimes it you almost have to wonder if I mean it always is a little bit to do with attention right I mean that's what I don't know the experts say I guess <laughs> but I mean there's always a sense of you know, normal, healthy people don't do these things. Yeah. There has to be some sort of, and you don't, you also don't, I think, do these things just for yourself. I mean, it's hard to, I, I, I don't know, I'm not a serial killer, but it feels like you don't do these kinds of violent, horrible things unless you want someone to see it. Mm. Um, and it's that search for attention. Yeah. See, and I, yeah, I mean, I, and sort of like the way that Hollywood plays into that and kind of feeds right into it with the whole pop culture. I mean, do you, do you remember like after the Boston Marathon bombing when they had um, Joker Sarnayev on the cover of Rolling Stone, you know, and they did that with Manson too, you know, and it's like, again, you, you really have to wonder if it's doing more harm than good. Mm hmm yeah, that's real. Like, cause I watch a lot of Criminal Minds, and so that's like that's yeah. often <laughs> yes, that's that's often what it boils down to is is you know wanting attention in this this really gruesome way. <laughs> really strange. Oh, I have a question. So, what do you think? Can we gain something from this sort of um, this trend of like rewriting history? Um, and what are we risking by doing that? I don't know. I think it depends on the event, you mm. know? I think that, I mean, in, a, in terms of a movie, I guess when you ask what are the risks, it's sort of, 
nebulous, you know what I mean? Because it's sort of, what are the risks? You know what I mean? There's not necessarily any actual real risk. But again, you have to take into consideration like the reaction of people when they see this movie. Like when you see something like Green Book, you know, yeah. which was another way of rewriting history, not as dramatic and not as well known. Um, but that had consequences for mm -hmm. a lot of people. People were hurt by that movie, you know what I mean? And I think it's important to, I think there is a comfort in rewriting history in these sorts of ways, but I think it's also important to remember the real story, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think there probably will come a day not too long from now when people will see this movie and not realize that this is not like, that this is a takeoff on history. You know what I mean? Like people won't know about Sharon Tate and the Manson murders and this will be their only sort of in to that event. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. you, just, you kind of have to wonder how, I guess as a filmmaker, you wonder how much you should worry about that. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. it does kind of, it, it's a big question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, at the same time, I think a lot of people were comforted by this movie's version of events. And I think, you know, it kind of brought um, Sharon Tate back into like consciousness, the public conscious consciousness mm -hmm. <laughs> in a positive way. Yeah. But at the same time, you were, I guess you worry also about who is rewriting the history. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what they're rewriting it to be. You know, mm -hmm. history is written by the winners, as they say. So it's kind of like, especially if it's Tarantino doing it, I don't, yeah. You know, don't want him rewriting all of my history. Yeah. It's a little problematic. That's the thing, is, is it's like sometimes, like Django, I would love that. I would love that narrative to be the narrative. Yeah. Um, That's another one where it's like it gave comfort to a lot of people because it was this thing that couldn't have happened, but it's satisfying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but like in the, in the case of like Bruce Lee, like maybe was, I think he was, was he, he's the only minority in the, in the movie. Is I, I want to say yes. I, I don't remember there being, he's the only, um, prominent mm. person of color. And, and I would say that like rewriting his history to like, not celebrate him was really it was hard because yeah and it, no I totally agree it was like like this is all he like this is what he has you know and and Asian actors don't have a lot of um you know elevated um elevated people that are interpreted to like deserve that kind of attention um like I'm not saying that they don't have those people in the canon but in Western culture, we don't see them. No, he, um, it's, I think, impossible to understate how important Bruce Lee was, I think, for Asian representation in media. And yeah. it sort of, it just was like a joke that didn't land for me, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it left a bitter taste in my mouth, honestly. Yeah, me as well. And not least of which I think because, again, if it was a, a uh, the filmmaker was a person of color, I think I wouldn't feel that way. Or even if it was someone other than Tarantino, necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily feel that way. Yeah, because, like, his track record doesn't make up for it, you know? Yeah. 
especially with Asian representation. I mean, from I, I can't really think of any movie he's had that's had a lot of Asian representation. I mean, Lucy Liu is a badass, but that's the only thing that I can <laughs> that comes to mind off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's the that's the point of it. Is it like, are you rewriting history to benefit someone specific, and is that person already in a position of power? Like, is it yeah, like already? That's a good way of examining it. You know, if you're, if you're rewriting this history to benefit people who are in power, then it's it is kind of like why for yeah. what for what reason? Yeah, like the question is why, you know? Yeah, I guess intent really, and you know, maybe that's why we're struggling so much with this question. Is again with Quentin Tarantino, it feels like it's hard to suss out his intent. I guess. Yeah. He's sus to me. He's a suspect. <laughs> Sus. He's sus. <laughs> I go to his movies so sus, and then I always enjoy them because they're the thing is like he makes enjoyable movies. You know what I mean? I can't deny that they're fun to watch and they're good technical movies. But then I, I always leave afterwards, and I always think back on what he's made, and I always, almost always, find moments that I'm like, that felt mm. a little weird. Yes. Like it felt kind of icky. Yeah, and he like he like. <laughs> I think this is worth noting. He just loves using racial slurs. Like he, he just uses them out the wazoo. He loves it. Like, and if you watch interviews with them too, it's not even like it's not that he'll just use them in the context of the script. He'll just say them out there. Like, like, he'll do it. Throw them out. And I'm like, every time I'm like, right. And like, I get like if you want to portray like a certain time period, but like, they like sometimes it's overkill. You know, like sometimes it's just like okay, we get it, we're in this time, we get it, like... Yeah, and I mean, again, that's sort of, I guess, personal taste, but that, I think the problem comes when he just doesn't, he refuses to hear anyone else's opinion on that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it wouldn't be so much a problem if it wasn't an issue about... It's The thing is, it's not just a creative issue. You know what I mean? It, it's an issue that affects the audience and affects people in the real world. And I feel like Tarantino often ignores his effect on the world and focuses on the art. You know what I mean? And I think that that's, you know, there's a lot of artists who do that. And I sort of have to wonder what the point is, personally. I mean, I get art for just art's sake, but I, I don't know. If you don't think about the effect that you're having, then... Then it's like self-indulgent almost. It's, it almost feels like selfish art, you know what I mean? Which yeah, is, self-serving, yeah. Why are you putting it out into the world then? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is not to say that I think that's what's happening with this movie, but... Yeah, it also reminds me of, like, what I was talking about, like, black and brown bodies being disposable on, on camera. Um, that translates in real life. Like, what you see, like, what you're taught to value on television in a lot of ways teaches you what to value in life. Like... Right. And the reason that people have such a problem with these eras of movies is because that's all there was Mm. you know there was no other representation I mean also it was problematic representation but there was nothing else too you know and so to say that that's something that we should go back to I think leaves a lot of people feeling left out yeah yeah especially because I feel like there's a certain demographic of people who will watch this movie and interpret it in really problematic ways yeah. And, like, I could absolutely see someone watching this and thinking, you know, like, just, you know, yeah, uncomfy. <laughs> just uncomfy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Watching this, I can see someone being uncomfortable throughout this whole movie. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I was uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, maybe murdered his wife? Like, Right, can we talk about that? Can we discuss? It seemed like he probably killed her. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, the rich I don't know how you can that, was, that he did not murder her. Like, I get that it was supposed to be left open-ended, I guess, but... But for what purpose, though? My, that's my thing. For what purpose did he need to be someone who, um, who could have killed his wife or could have not? And then we never find out if he did. To, like, what purpose did that serve is my question, I guess. Like, maybe to make him seem mysterious. He was supposed to be, I guess it was supposed to, like, play up his manliness? I don't know. And also, when you have his wife as being, again, there's so few women in this movie, and one of the main characters, one of the, by default, one of the main women characters, because there's so few of them, Mm -hmm. like, this nagging, like, horrible wife who gets murdered. Like... (laughs) You know, what, you know, yeah. There's not, like, there's, not there's like not a, a positive woman in this movie except for Sharon Tate. Ooh. And then women who don't matter, you know? Can we talk about, can we talk about, I, I honestly feel like even though Sharon was not the focus of the movie and they were trying to make like an homage to her rather than making it about her and that was like an artistic choice. Um, even though that was the case, I will... I'll say, I don't, I don't appreciate how what we saw of her was like her walking down the street in short skirts and dancing in her room. That was it. Like, and her hair blowing in the wind. Like, okay. Like, yeah. And I get that they were trying to like. Make her like a. Like a normal, on a normal day. Like if she hadn't gotten murdered, this is what her day would have been like, I guess. Yeah. Or like, or maybe they're trying to like make her like play up the celebrity, celebrityism of it. Like. Oh, she's yeah. so glamorous. Look at Sharon. Like, she, you know? Maybe. Yeah, it goes back to, like, the person who's making the movie. You know? He has this... And it's the male gaze. You know what I mean? It's it's the way that he frames these shots. I mean, he's obsessed with, like, these women's feet. Like, that's... Yeah. It's weird, you know? It's, mm-hmm. it's uncomfy. And if a woman was making this movie, maybe it would be you know the script could stay the exact same and you could see how it would be a completely different film Ooh, yeah that's you know I mean? that's an interesting point yeah i want to talk about actually if you don't mind me <laughs> taking taking the lead a little bit totally his sort of uh, i guess his relationship with the whole and i, I guess i should put like a trigger warning on this um but his relationship with uma thurman and sort of his relationship to the whole weinstein thing Ooh. and his his relationship i guess with sex offenders in general um, how much do you, how much do you sort of know? I have like a little, a little summary prepared if you don't, I don't know how much you know yeah. about sort of um, the Uma Thurman you can, you can give your summary. Yeah, well, I mean, basically, Uma Thurman was assaulted by Harvey Weinstein and Quentin Tarantino knew about it. Mm-hmm. And he knew about it for a long time. And he also said he knew about, um, Basically, what he said was, um, he gave this quote that was like, I knew enough to do more than I did. There was more to it than just the normal rumors, the normal gossip. It wasn't secondhand. I knew he did a couple of these things. Um, I chalked it up to a 50s, 60s era image of a boss chasing a secretary around the desk, as if that's okay. That's the egg on my face right now. Mm. (sighs) I don't know. What do you make of, of... How do you digest art... 
these problematic people who have been in the industry and who didn't speak up and who were instruments to, in a lot of ways, kind of further this culture. You know, how do you balance that, I guess, with your interpretation of the person? I, I was confronted with this question just like when I was um, thinking about the whole R. Kelly situation, um, like way back in, I don't know, was that a couple of years ago? Um, God, when things that? like, well, I mean, it had been going on for a long time, but when it finally, yeah. like when Survivor happened, it happened a lot of artists, I think, right now. Yeah. You know, because of cancel culture, you know, in quotes. I don't think that that's like a real thing, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah, so I came to the conclusion that I, if I feel weird about it, I'm just not going to partake. Like if I, if I feel like listening to this song is, well, first of all, if listening to a song or watching a film or TV show is sending money their way, I'm not doing it. You know, yeah. and, you know, if they're actually gaining income from me partaking, I'm not doing it. If I can do it for free and I'm not putting the onus on anybody else around me, I'm not playing it out loud, you know, I'm not sure, yeah. forcing anyone else to watch it, like, then I think that's, I think that that's fine. Just as long as I'm not, like, infringing that on other people and the artist isn't getting, you know, isn't gaining financially from it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard, though, because I feel like everyone has different temperaments and, you know, there's the argument that, like, well, their art is different, but and the thing is, like, in R. Kelly's case, kind of just like the segue, I guess, like, it wasn't separate. It, it wasn't, because in his music, he was even talking about it. Um, it's hard to, and I think it's, you know, it goes back to that your art is who you are kind of mentality. It's hard to, which is not the correct mentality to have, but it is hard to separate someone's art from them as a person, because it does tell you something about them. You know yeah. what I mean? And it does, and who they are as a person informs how you digest that art. Yeah. And I, I also think too that it's different depending on hmm, this might this might be a little dicey, but I do think it's different with let's get dicey. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's chop it up. Um <laughs> I think it's different with artists of color versus white artists because artists of color have you in the canon, right? Like there are few um there are a few that get to a certain level of, you know, being a household name within pop culture. But yeah. for white artists, there's like this whole menu, right? So if you, yeah. you know, it's hard with someone like Harvey Weinstein when he basically, you know, infiltrates the whole, you know, yeah, industry. Like probably one of the, one of, if not the biggest predator of. Yeah, yeah. And like, I'm not saying that like, we shouldn't watch Harvey Weinstein movies, but yeah, I don't. <laughs> That would yeah, be like everywhere. <laughs> How are you supposed to? Be? And yeah, that's the other thing is like sometimes it gets, especially with movies when there's so many people involved. That's right. How do you? It's hard. <laughs> it is hard, and and the thing is too is I'm not, and I just I stand on this firmly. I'm not going to tell anyone what to do. I'm not going to tell anyone what to watch. Um, mm -hmm. I think that if you're okay with it, then that's your prerogative. But I don't think that anyone should infringe that on anyone else. Like, I don't think that if they want to watch, like, a Harvey Weinstein movie and their friend doesn't want to watch it, that they should, like, shame them yeah. for not wanting to watch it or that they should, like, you know, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think in public settings that anyone should be, should be 
should be doing that. I don't think in public settings, that's not what it's, I don't think it's what it's for. I think if you are in your own home, then you can yeah. do what you want. Um, it's a personal experience that it like, yeah, I, people who try to force their opinions on art on other people are like, it almost is like they don't understand what the point of art is. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's so individual and in how you experience it and how you, how you feel about these things. Mm -hmm. And we're not, a world of people who all think they're the same. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. Especially when someone is literally harmed emotionally, emotionally or, or mentally by you infringing those opinions. Like, and like, and I, I like to be careful of the word opinions because I feel like it can be, it can seem really wishy-washy and can really float either way. But like, when it comes to like people who cause harm, I think that, I think that no one should be promoting their work in public, right? I just don't think, I just don't think that's where it belongs anymore. Once, yeah, when, yeah. Yeah. This is what frustrates me so much about people talking about like trigger warnings and safe spaces. Is mm -hmm. it's like, is it really that difficult for you to make this other human being feel safe? Like, is it yeah. that much of a burden on you that they don't want you to, they want you to warn them before you talk about sexual assault? Like it's, or they want you to not play that R. Kelly song like that loudly on the train. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. Is it that hard to make the world around you easier for other people? Yeah, yeah, that's, man, yeah, that's real. Um, and I just, I just want to, like, talk about one more thing, I think, before we, like, maybe talk about the funny things we saw, just for a lighter topic. <laughs> before we maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. End up a little bit lighter. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good idea. <laughs> this has been pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah, some murder. It's fine. Don't listen to this, like, maybe on your morning commute. Maybe listen right. to it at the end of the day. <laughs> you know, watch a cartoon after or something. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think there's an important distinction to be made um, uh, with knowing another perspective or becoming aware of another perspective and being empathetic or being sympathetic because you don't have to do both. Like, I don't think you... Mm -hmm. I don't think that when you look at the perspective of, like, someone who is, I don't know, within the Manson family. Are they, what do we call them? Do we call them followers? What do we call them? What have we decided? Members? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, like the Manson family members, yeah. I suppose, is like the their boy band name, I guess. Got it, the boy band name, got it. Um, so so <laughs> within the family, um, like I don't think it's wrong to say, you know, they were going, like they were, first of all, probably on acid all the time um second like maybe these women were coming from i don't know homes broken homes or you know yeah totally that you know they didn't see another way out of um yeah, and you don't enough, you're like in a you're feeling pretty desperate or like pretty isolated <laughs> yeah yeah um i don't think there's anything wrong with acknowledging those factors but at the same time holding people accountable um, I think you can do both. I don't think, I, I think it's hard. It's a hard space for people to exist in because they assume, or maybe to them that you can't have perspective without sympathy. Um, I think for some people, they can't differentiate the two. They can't, in their yeah. mind, it just creates some cognitive dissonance. Yeah, I mean, it, mm -hmm. it goes back to, you know, when we were saying we love serial killers, it's not like <laughs> we're big fans, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it's, it's fascinating to look at different perspectives of the events that happen. Even if you know one perspective is 
wrong. Like one is, is did the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. You know, someone was murdered. Obviously there's a right and a wrong in that situation, but that doesn't mean you can't look at the factors that caused the situation with interest and with some degree of empathy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or not even with empathy, but with a knowledge that people don't come out of the womb like that you know what i mean yeah desiring to start a cult and murder sharon tate like that that doesn't just happen you know Mm -hmm. and i think people are too often yeah it's really easy for people to write off perspectives of others yeah especially when it's coming from like because what what is what actual mental illness did charles have was he by was it um i'm gonna look it up I don't know off the top of my head. Ooh. I believe he was either borderline. I think he had, I think he was, well, I'll look it up before I. Okay, sure, sure, sure. I want to say borderline, but let's see. Charlie Manson. Why did I look up Charlie Manson? Charlie. Charlie Manson. <laughs> Charlie Manson. Charlie Manson. No, let's see. Um. Hmm. I'm trying to find it. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be somewhere. Let's see. Oh, five myths about Charles Manson. Maybe that will happen. Ooh. I love debunking myths. Myth number one. Um, it says in reality Manson was never diagnosed with any illness okay. but he refused to submit to a psychiatric evaluation at his trial so like mm. and I guess uh, psychologists disagreed about whether or not he was faking but I mean oh. you uh, kind of have to think like of course he was mentally ill, right? I mean, you don't, he just, you don't create this narrative of like the Beatles sending you messages to start a race war through music yeah. and then carry out, you know, orchestrate the murder of a bunch of people unless you got something going on up there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm glad you made the distinction of, it's the, about the narrative that he drew in his head. I'm glad you, because it's not that like him being violent means he must have been mentally ill. It's that, right. you know, he no, had no, this no, different reality. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's another thing is people often blame violence on someone being mentally ill, and it's important to remember that <laughs> the majority of mentally ill people don't murder people. They're yeah. functioning in society. Yeah. And actually, you know, Jim's more... It's important to mention that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you know what, you know, too, I think that a lot of people um, will, will cop, will use that as a cop-out. Um, well, not, not, let me rephrase that. I think that a lot of people will assume that something must be different about another human, like inherently, in order to make them do awful things. But really, it's just that we're uncomfortable seeing another person and seeing ourselves in them as they do horrible things. And seeing the struggles that we that we all go through, like it's it's uncomfortable for people to feel that they can relate to these people. Exactly. Exactly. It's easy for people to. 
it's an easy escape for people to avoid looking inward, I think, and looking at. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely that true. Would need to be made in our society and in ourselves so that we don't end up like these people. Yeah, yeah I think totally. that's good. Yeah. yeah. Yay, oh, so God. why don't we talk about some like fun things? Let's do something fun. Yeah, let's do a, <laughs> what was it? What was the most fun part of this movie to you? Ooh, okay. I wrote some down. Um, I I wrote down Margot. Can I borrow your legs? Because <laughs> she just has great Margot, borrow, like your existence. Honestly. Like, <laughs> just like, is she like, renting them out? Like, God, she's beautiful. I mean, she's she is beautiful. like uh, and, and you know that fifties. It is she. Like, I feel like can pull off any. <laughs> like to go from Harley Quinn to Sharon Tate. Like, I think she's can pull off any look at that point. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, she's. Yeah, I guess what, my biggest positive thing would be Margot Robbie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, there was like a, a couple scenes where um, um, some people were drinking like Bloody Marys. And then there was one where Brad Pitt's character put a stick of celery in it. And I was like, this is too much. Y'all can <laughs> like Bloody Marys, but don't do this to me. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? That's the thing that people do. That's like a thing. Yikes. Really? I mean, I, I've never had a Bloody Mary, but I think that that's like a, I think celery is like a thing. Maybe they picked it because it's a really crunchy fruit for him to bite on. Oh my God, why? <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> oh gosh. Every time somebody drank a Bloody Mary, I was like. A lot of drinking in this movie. Yeah. It was. Yeah. I stressful, man. Hollywood was stressful. Oh, uh, I think my favorite part of the movie was also when <laughs> I hesitate to say it because I kind of felt like the movie dragged a little bit. Like there was definitely some stuff that like, like that really long shot of Brad Pitt driving the car. I was kind of like, does this need to be as long mm, as it is? Yeah. Really, like really long. <laughs> um, but then that whole long sequence of Leo <laughs> on the TV show and then he screws up the line. Yeah. And then he just, like the fact that it was like, like 10 minutes long was so amusing <laughs> to me. <laughs> And then he's like, and he's like trying to stay in it. Right, 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 right. Oh my gosh, that was so funny. And then you know he trashes trashes his trailer. Which is oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think I also wrote down Leo plays like the tormented macho guy so well. Like just he really like, does. Yeah, that's like know? his his thing. Tormented macho guy. Yeah. Yeah. There's got to be another word besides macho because I don't want to say like manly because I feel like yeah. that's not real. But um, like, what is? Yeah men he plays men <laughs> he plays a man a tormented person yeah it's yeah. that like toxic masculinity kind of thing. yeah 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 he's good at that <laughs> yeah I, I need i need directors to stop making him use racial slurs though don't do that to him <laughs> yeah i don't want that leave him alone anymore yeah there was i feel like oh you know what i just remembered who the other people of color were in this movie and it was those Mexican people who took his car at the very beginning. That's oh, right. And he says, don't cry in front of the Mexicans. <laughs> Jesus, of Which I sort of was like, is that, what does that mean? What are you trying to say about them? Yeah. Does that mean like they're very masculine? I don't, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay. anyway. I also thought it was funny when, um, when um, he was like, when Brad, what's, what's his name? Cliff? Um, Cliff when he was like, Brad. When he had taken like that like acid um 
Oh, yeah, that was amusing. <laughs> I, I mean, the end was amusing. As much as I had problems with it, it was <laughs> it was yeah. a fun way to end the movie. Yeah, my goodness. I wish it wasn't all women, but... It was very, like, pulp From what I hear, that is, like, the crux of Pulp Fiction, or, like, like kind of the energy of the movie. Yeah, that's accurate. I think that's an accurate statement. That's sort of chaotic, <laughs> violent... <laughs> just like all over the place like when he hits her with the dog food like it's so absurd that you almost have to be like <laughs> you yeah, yeah, yeah. like and when she keeps coming up out of the pool like four times i was like yeah, i was like she ain't dead what <laughs> i was like geez all right they're really trying to sell us that this is like <laughs> not a real thing that happens right 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 <laughs> yeah Fun movie. so in general i like i i am buying into like the magical realism genre i think i'm into it i yeah i like i like the idea sure mm -hmm. i think overall i think here's my overall thoughts on the movie i liked it um it could have been executed better i think mm -hmm. and i think i'm kind of tired of quentin tarantino and yeah. the white man <laughs> yeah i think stories constantly yeah people you know we have new writers out here making it happen and, and I'm excited to like see what they have to offer us because I think at the end of the day I have to come up with like whether or I have to decide whether or not I want to see more art like this like after a movie or after a show that I watch do I want to see more of this yeah right um, and in terms of the genre sure but in terms of like the themes nah not really. yeah not really then they're done that kind of yeah truly for the longest like for a long time and he, now he's like, oh, let's go back to that. It's kind of like, well, it doesn't really feel like we maybe not left that. I mean, I get what you're saying, but you know, yeah. In the movie, I guess is pretty much what I would call this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that I got to watch this movie with you Thank and you. talk about it. Oh, I love thinking hard. Uh, I think this is so fun. You know, it's mm -hmm. great to talk with friends about art, and I I love getting the opportunity to do that. Yeah. So well, thank you for joining me on Plot Twist, Please, the podcast. And you peeps out there, stay weird, stay curious, and don't join a cult. Good advice. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Do I stop recording?